You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. One of the luxuries of doing a NBA podcast is that when you're like me and a little wacky in the head and you get thoughts, then you can pick up the phone and call people who know better and say, hey, let me throw a hypothesis by you and see what you think. And that is why Royce Young of ESPN is on the show today. Because maybe this is really, Royce, this could just be a, a, a lock therapy session for all we know. But, <laughs> but I think what has taken place in Oklahoma City from maybe the 12 months prior to the Durant departure to today looks very different in the rearview mirror than it did when we went through it the first time. And I thought there'd be some value to revisit it. Um, and you, more than anyone in the world, kind of lived it and I think tried to get some narratives out that at times people went, eh, that's just an OKC guy telling an OKC story. Or maybe mm-hmm. I just did that. I don't know. It, it, do, let me just go big picture. As I threw that hypothesis at you via text yesterday, did it ring true to you that we now look at what took place since one of the great you know, teams that could have ever been built has fallen apart uh, and is now you know, very different, uh, that that, how it took place and what took place is different and maybe more clear now to everyone than it was when it was taking place. Absolutely, David. I mean, I think, I think you're naive if you don't at least reflect on it in some regard. And, you know, I don't want to call it a failure because I mean, to me, there's, there's a contextual element here. The Thunder's opening era, if you will, the kind of first decade of professional basketball in Oklahoma city and sort of this um, existential sense was a smashing success, right? I mean, like for the team to come in and be in complete rebuild mode and then in year two win 50 games and basically put on the floor kind of an all-time team in terms of future talent, like if you're talking just about establishing a professional sport in a small market city that is going to have lasting impacts for generations, like it couldn't have been more successful, right? But in terms of kind of the the micro scale of, okay, did they, you know, look, sports are outcome-based, and in terms of outcome, they were disappointing. I mean, I don't think that there, there's any way to, to look at it otherwise. And, of course, there's, there's perspective to take. There was injuries. There was the Westbrook injury. Um, there was, you know, uh, some, some, like, some self-inflicted wounds, some things that they couldn't help. You know, I think that people can look at it in hindsight now and, and basically agree kind of that they, I don't want to say maybe mismanaged is not the right word, but maybe um, kind of uh, didn't really think, think through the hardened trade in a, in a complete uh, forward thinking way. So like, I, I think overall, I, again, I don't want to say failure. That's not fair because I think that that misses the mark on, on so many different elements of it, but to have the, the kind of talent and the kind of team that they had, and to, to basically come out of it with one NBA Finals is a disappointment. I, 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 again, it's, this is an outcome sport. This is about results. And the Thunder, while overall had, I think, the second best record in the NBA over the last decade, they went to the playoffs multiple years. They, you, know, you can list out all the achievements, but they didn't win NBA titles. And I think for the talent that they had in Oklahoma City, that's a disappointment. Let me go back to certain moments in time and maybe to allow us to then tie a narrative together. One of the most interesting was, was Durant left. Most people put it on Russell. Mm-hmm. Now Durant's left another franchise with some really <laughs> bizarre behavior 
and even the most recent that I never felt as though I was a part of it, kind of weird aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Does that change how we should look at Durant's departure from Oklahoma City? I think so. I mean, and, and again, this is something I'm, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but like when Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City, it was a lot of, you know, he left with kind of this um, perception about him that, it, you know, he and some of it was well earned, David, to be quite honest. I mean, he was one of the most adored players in the NBA, um, both on the court and off. And, you know, it was kind of like a lot of people when they were taking sides in this situation, it was much easier to take the Kevin Durant side in the Russell Westbrook side, who at that point in time, especially was one of the most disliked polarizing players in the NBA. So it wasn't, it wasn't hard to kind of draw the battle lines there and take your side. It's like, Oh yeah. Why would Kevin Durant leave? Cause he didn't want to play with that ball hog, Russell Westbrook. And you know, that's how people saw he wanted to go play with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and play in a ball movement system. Of course he does. It makes all the sense in the world. He wanted to get out of Oklahoma city and go, go to California. It makes all the sense in the world. So like people kind of saw it in that kind of prism and now that I think that they, they, they've learned a lot about Kevin Durant and kind of how he thinks and how he approaches things and how he lives moment to moment, how he makes, you know, somewhat impulsive decisions. I think, you know, Durant kind of, um, you know, he runs very hot and cold. And I think people are now able to kind of step back, David, and say, okay, so maybe there was a lot more context to this. <laughs> maybe there was a lot more going on um, to this decision because, you know, if you look at it just in terms of him leaving the Warriors, why would he leave the Warriors? Like, they, they didn't they check every single box that he said that he wanted checked and things changed for Kevin Durant and his motivations and his, um, his objectives are different now than they were when he signed with the Warriors. And that exact same reasoning is why he left Oklahoma city. If Kevin Durant could have re-signed uh, a five-year contract in the year of 2014, he would have signed it in Oklahoma city and he would have done it with a smile on his face. But by 2016, things changed for him. He changed and that's what led into the decision that he made. The other interesting thing to that is I remember during the process, someone in Oklahoma City said to me, I really don't know what Durant's going to do because he changes whoever, based on whoever he was with last. Right. And their, their kind of comment was if he's with the OKC, he's one guy that if he goes and spends a, a few weeks with Nike, he's another guy, and he spends a few weeks with – is, is that blowing in the wind maybe the – now become the essence of what his personality is? I think so. And, you know, look, I think that you can just look at it in, w- with what he said recently to the Wall Street Journal. I mean, he, he's the worst narrator of his own career, isn't he, David? I mean, he contradicts himself. And, and I don't think he has much of a problem with it. And, again, this, does, this is not a criticism necessarily of Durant. I think this is just kind of the nature of his personality is that he truly lives – in the moment and how he feels in that moment is how he feels. And it does. And he, ha- and so many of us, you know, we kind of, you know, we, we, we have this kind of, you know, again, this sounds like a criticism, but it's not, but you have this kind of internal personal accountability. It's like, well, I said that I better, I better not change my mind. And so sometimes you're unwilling to change your mind because you feel like you've kind of got to hold up to the standard of like, well, I said that I better stick, I better stick to my guns. Even if you don't really want to Durant really has no problem with that. It's like, uh, yeah, did I, did I say that Oklahoma City was home on CJ McCollum's podcast? Yeah, well, nine months later, I'm I'm out there and I'm saying the fans are the reason that I don't ever want to go back. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, I feel this way right now, and I feel this way right now. And he's a very uh, reflective person. He's very um, he's very thoughtful, and and sometimes his moods and his feelings change. And look, I, I again, I think 
you know, that, that makes them an easy target to criticize and especially to lay things down. This is one of the big frustrations that I think people had, David, when he left Oklahoma City. Is It's like they wanted to print off all of his comments and be like, wait a second. You know, these things don't go together. You said this and you said this and you said this. And, and that was what made his decision very hard for people to parse. But now I think that as, as everyone kind of has a better picture of the Kevin Durant, Durant psychology, it's like, oh, okay, okay, I, I kind of get it a little bit better, and it makes a little more sense to me. He reminds me uh, a little bit. I covered Alex Rodriguez. I'd say the same about Carlos Boozer, that they were famous so early they never found out who they were as a person. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I think that, I, that that's – I mean, A-Rod went through the same thing when he left Seattle to go to Texas. And I, I just – and then I remember sitting down with A-Rod in Texas after he'd made the decision. He was, he was incredibly grateful to me, very similar to the way Kevin could be. But it, just talking to him, he didn't know who he was. And I had that same feeling when I was with Boozer, when Boozer was dealing with all of his stuff in Utah, that they just – sometimes when you get famous that early, it's impossible to find out who you are as a person. Right, and I think also just – in terms of, of Kevin Durant specifically, is that in some ways he was kind of uncomfortable with stardom. I mean, his personality just didn't really run into that. And the guy that he was when he was 21, 22 years old, while he's exploding onto the NBA world, he's becoming one of the best players in the world, he's becoming a scoring champion. You know, then it was kind of like it started clicking for him. And, and as kind of the circle around him grew, and Kevin Durant started kind of understanding, like, oh, I, I see what's going on here. I'm, I'm really that good. You know, I, I had multiple conversations with Kevin back when he was in his second, third season. And one of the things that, you know, he, I remember him telling me, David, was um, he had just made his first all-star team. And I was like, well, do you feel like, man, you got to feel like a, like a star now. He was like, man, I'm not a star. Like, I'm not even close to a star. I was like, what are you talking about? You're on the all-star team. Like, it, by definition, you are a star now. And he was like, I don't feel that way. And so I think it was kind of like – it was very difficult for him to kind of rationalize those two elements of like, he, he, he truly kind of had a humble heart and it was like trying to kind of separate the fact that like this guy didn't feel that way about himself versus how everyone else looked at him. And he's getting commercials and shoe deals and Gatorade coming after him. He's on the cover of video games. And that what that was, I think a little bit kind of overwhelming for him as, as like you pointed out, I think very wisely that, you know, he's still trying to figure it out. And we're all anointing him as basically the uh, the successor and the competitor to LeBron James. He is Royce Young. ESPN covers covered OKC from the beginning, so interesting perspective. We'll talk about Russell next because that's one that's now interesting to look back at and see what we understand. And this year may define him and his how his career is remembered more than any other. Royce Young, ESPN, with us on Locked On NBA. Royce Young, ESPN with us. Remember, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code Locked On. So Russell Westbrook is maybe one of the most interesting characters. The Barry Trammell feud seems to kind of hang over him anytime you try to characterize him as being misunderstood and being maybe a better person than he sometimes... I do feel as though he's the most mis represented by the media not good versus bad but mm-hmm. I, I, you know you were in the weeds of it so maybe you didn't see it but Durant was always thought of as the kind of down home guy where Russ was always talked about as the big city LA guy 
and all the flashy clothes and the crazy outfits and the fashion conscious and all of that. And his game kind of represented that as well. And I think that was absolutely 180 degrees wrong on who those right. two guys are. And maybe your writing over time has allowed us to see that. But where, who is Russell Westbrook? Yeah, I mean, great question. <laughs> I mean, I do think that there, we used to joke uh, at a time, David, uh, when, with Russell, that there was, there was always Russell and there was Russ. And the, the difference between the two was one was wearing basketball shoes and one wasn't. Because the guy, when he had his basketball shoes on, it was, it was competition. And that meant competition on the basketball court. That meant competition with the media. That meant competition with basically the, the PR staff. That meant competition with the front office. I mean, it was, the guy couldn't switch it off. And um, he's one of the most competitive players, I think, in NBA history, quite honestly. And, and, and that kind of uh, that driven mentality is really what fueled him to, to be the way uh, he was on the court and off the court. And then you had the guy that you know, was, was wearing the, you know, the um, leopard print shirts and cowboy hats or whatever he put on. And, um, and, you know, there's that guy, and he was affable, very charming, very likable, easy to talk to. You could talk family, you could talk kids, you could talk a lot of different types of things about him. And I will say, kind of towards the end of his tenure in Oklahoma City, with a lot of people, even people that he was close with, um, with the Thunder organization, even media members that I think that he had good relationships with, things got a little bit strained with him. And, and the thing to me, David, that always stuck out, uh, stood out about Russell Westbrook is that you know, I knew him for more than a decade. I knew him when he was uh, basically a teenager. And so we knew each other well, but, you know, he always kept you on edge. And it was always a little bit, it, it got exhausting to wonder, like, is he joking or is he serious? And you were always kind of running that, that internal battle in your mind of like, okay, is, is he serious about this or is he joking? And so being kind of on that knife's edge all the time with him where you're like, am I in the doghouse or am I not? Am I, am I in trouble with Russell or am I not? Kind of, it, it really kind of would, would uh, grind on you on a day in and day out basis. But, um, you know, for the most part, Russell Westbrook is a great dude. He's, you know, he's a family man. He's got, he's got three kids. He's a, he's a great husband. He's extremely well liked. And I think that one of the things that I've come to learn about him is that he really relished and embraced this idea that he is misunderstood. You know, I did, I did one like extended sit down in my 10 years around being Russell Westbrook. I did one sit down 45 minute interview with him. And one of the things that I asked him was, do you like, people not understanding who you are. And he said, I kind of do. I like, I like kind of the, uh, the curiosity and the, the misunderstanding of, of what I really am like, because I think he really loved that the people that knew who he was are his teammates. And he loved that idea because, you know, that narrative about him is that he, he's a bad teammate. He's hard to play with. He would interrupt my interviews with other teammates. If I'm sitting down with Ray Felton, he would yell across the, the floor and say, Ray, tell him what a bad teammate I am. You know, I was doing it with Steven Adams one time. Steve, tell him how I'm a bad teammate. And he just loved this idea that his teammates got it, but nobody else did. Interesting. I wonder, I mean, that's, uh, I wonder what's driving that. I'm just, you know, it's hard to play Dr. Phil on these guys when we see them out there. I know. Um, do you think that on edge thing he did to reporters, he did to teammates as well? Uh, that's a good question. And, and I think to some degree, yes, because, you know, I think that, you know, I've talked to people, I wrote a, a story about, uh, you know, why Paul George kind of returned to Oklahoma City last summer. And, you know, there, there's, there's kind of a type A player and there's a type B player. And that some players really like this idea uh, that Russell Westbrook motivates you and does kind of drive you and pushes you 
And some players, I think, really embrace that. And I think, you know, and some players, it makes them better players. And I think Paul George, you know, he played some of the best basketball of his career alongside Russell Westbrook. And I think that Russell Westbrook sort of raised his level of intensity and his level of focus. Some guys go the other way, though, David. You know, I talked to uh, one agent that I put in that story is that, you know, some players can kind of, um, it, it can kind of beat them down and make them kind of question themselves as a player. And it doesn't bring that kind of confidence. So, Look, I don't think it's unique to Russell Westbrook. As you know, you've been around a lot of NBA players. You've watched a lot of NBA basketball. Is that not every player fits with every player, and 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 that's personality-wise, and that's in terms of the game on the floor. So, um, you know, I don't think that Russell. You know, we all kind of have analyzed Westbrook to a to a different level, but I don't think he's necessarily unique in that. You know, he's he. You know, not every player is going to fit alongside him. I've got the the simplest question. Does he help you win? Uh, that's a, that might be the simplest question, but it's one of the most difficult ones. And, you know, and I, I think that I think Russell Westbrook is a winner for sure, and I think you can categorize it as we've seen. He's a definitely, and, and this again, this sounds like a this sounds like a just a slam on the guy, but it's not. He is definitely a regular season winner, and um, he's gonna he's gonna get you to the playoffs. He's gonna he's gonna will you there because he's going to bring an energy and an intensity that just not many other players are, are willing to bring on a night in and night out basis. And plus, I mean, he's really, really good. I mean, he's a, he's a great, great player. He has significant flaws and we all have identified those and we all understand those. And that's what keeps him from being one of the greatest players. Um, but I do think that those kind of characteristics and qualities that he possesses that wins you games just on competitive spirit and will alone they don't always translate in the postseason, where the game is very uh, much more technical and much more delicate, um, and and it's played on a much finer edge. You know those, those kind of uh, fine motor skills, if you will. I don't know that Westbrook possesses those. You know he doesn't have the hands of a surgeon. He's he's not a guy that's coming in there and he's going to out technical you. And I don't know that those types of things um, translate into playoff basketball. And that's why you know when Russell Westbrook and his teams have been at their best. Again, this doesn't. This isn't a criticism, but he he's not their best player. He's not the guy that everything is flowing through. Look at last year's team, when the Thunder were rolling and looked like an NBA title contender. It was Paul George's team. He he was the best player on the team, and then Paul had shoulder injuries and things kind of flip flopped, and they took on the identity of Westbrook, and that's when the Thunder kind of went into their slump. So, you know, when he is when he is your one B to the one A, I think I think that a team can win, but when he kind of takes on the identity of a team. And, and the problem is, David, is that he has a magnetism that just kind of overwhelms locker rooms. And that's, that, that, that makes it very complex when it comes to a Russell Westbrook team. Well, that last comment leads to some very interesting discussions. We'll have those upcoming with uh, Royce. I will say on Russell, I mean, I watched him lose a playoff series. He probably should have never lost to the Utah Jazz. And mm-hmm. at the same time, watched the single I saw Jordan. I was there for all of Jordan's NBA finals against the jazz. This greatest single performance I've ever seen was Westbrook's game five, where he wills that team. back. Yeah. To win. I mean, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen by an individual athlete. And yet at the same time, I might blame him for losing that series. Yeah. It's like the paradox of Westbrook right there in one playoff series. I think that jazz series, David, honestly, almost summarizes the guy better than anything else. Maybe game five and game six, just those two game tapes side by side. That summarizes Westbrook right there. Sounds like a good analysis. Now, what happens next for Russell Westbrook? We'll discuss it when we continue with Royce Young of ESPN, plus a look 
at the entire Western Conference. If you want to make a memory of a last a lifetime and see one of these great players, Vivid Seats app helps you get your favorite live event. Enter the promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. So you let us right into it, Royce. The million-dollar question, does Russell Westbrook in Houston work? Ah, uh, boy, I'm gonna. I, I feel like I gotta see like maybe like just um, just a few games, like maybe fifty or sixty <laughs> before <laughs> I can really <laughs> before I can really decide that. I mean, look, people close to Westbrook will tell you all day long that he's gonna make it work. He's gonna make the necessary adjustments. They feel like new scenery is going to kind of force him back into uh, a new type of mentality that's going to really bring out some of the best in him. That you know, we've all spent a lot of time uh, talking about how Russell Westbrook needs to change, how he needs to evolve, and people in Oklahoma City kind of never thought that he really might be able to because it was, he was just too comfortable in that Thunder environment. It was it was his culture, it was his bubble, and making that type of change just was kind of too difficult for him. So, like now he's in a completely new situation in Houston. He's on somebody else's team. I mean, it's James Harden's team. So he is going to be his hand is going to be forced for kind of the first time ever, um, but like there's there's certain there's certain holes in his game, David, as we all know that I I don't know that he can necessarily fix. He's not a good shooter, and he hasn't been for basically the last two and a half three seasons. And if he's going to play off the ball, yeah, you can talk about things like catching and driving and cutting and the space he might have on the floor and playing faster and all these types of things, but. He's also got to be able to make shots. And, and, you know, NBA defenses, as we all know, are extremely smart and extremely technical, and they will make the proper adjustments to expose limitations in a player's game. And, and people will figure out how to guard the Rockets if Russell Westbrook is playing off the ball and still can't shoot. So, look, I, I think that in terms of the chemistry between Harden and Westbrook, that is real. And I think that those two guys are going to want to do everything they can do to make it work. But at the same point, David, I think it's it's fair to say, you know, people keep pointing out, well, they've played together. No, they haven't. James Harden and Russell Westbrook, as we know them today, they have not played together because they are way different players today than they were back in 2012, which is seven years ago. So these are MVPs now. These are future Hall of Famers. These two guys are not the same two guys they were. So I definitely, I, I, I am very skeptical that it is going to work out between those two players. Does it surprise you, that James Harden has become the one who's the craftsman of the group, that he actually might be the one who's worked the, on the most minute details to perfect his game. You know, I don't know that it necessarily surprises me. You know, I remember having a conversation with Sam Presti, the Thunder's general manager back in maybe 2011. And he was kind of talking and he was kind of pointing out that you know, he was, he was using kind of the left hand, and the uh, and the beard is kind of his example. And, and one of the things that he talked about with Harden is that he felt like he was really kind of the artist of the group. He was like the creative side of the of the brain, you know, of that group. And and that's sort of what tied them together. Um, I, you know, Westbrook has always kind of been the ramrod. He's the bulldozer. He's the guy that is trying to just run you over with physical strength and athleticism. You know, Durant is, has that technical element to him, but he's just a God-gifted guy. You know, he, he's the one that's seven feet tall that shoots like Larry Bird that, you know, can handle and drive. I mean, he's, he's just the one that's just was basically, you know, just kissed by the hand of God and just destined to be great. And so, you know, I think Harden, 
you know, he's the one that was a little slower. He's the one that isn't the supreme athlete. He was, you know, coming into the NBA, he was seen kind of, I, I think there was a story about like, oh, he's got some asthma issues and uh, he, he's made, he's going to struggle with staying in shape. So it was like all these like little things about Harden that like, can he cut it in the NBA? And the way that he's really kind of made it is that he's just, um, he's just smarter. He's, he's, he's a mechanical uh, as you kind of pointed out, he's a technician of basketball and he's found kind of his advantages, whether that's in drawing fouls or that's kind of manipulating the game the way that he does, he's found his way to be great. And, and he's become one of the, you know, one of the greatest scorers of all time, quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, he, he might be the greatest scorer under seven feet of the history of the game. Yeah. I mean, I know that's Jordan, I mean, he, right? I mean, that's basically Harden or Jordan. Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't average thirty five points a game by accident. <laughs> you know, and I, again, I know people sometimes roll their eyes with the way that James Harden scores. And look, it sometimes is, it is it is not enjoyable to watch, as we all know. But points are points, and and you're trying to put as many of them on the board as you can. And and James Harden, I don't think necessarily cares if you feel like they're enjoyable points or not. They count all the same, and uh, and he's as good at doing it as anybody in NBA history. You know, what's interesting is I, I do find myself harder on Westbrook than I think most people because I have my offensive metrics that I run, and he was the most negatively impactful offensive player on his team of mm-hmm. any player in the NBA last year. I mean, the amount of possessions he uses, how negative he is on every possession, and then I fundamentally believe that making up for negative players is the kind of thing that people don't get in the league, that that's just so hard to do. Yet I'm totally convinced this is going to work in Houston. Like I'm yeah. <laughs> totally convinced they're going to be the number one seed. And I think it might just be that I think Harden's that great. Yeah. And look, I think some of it also is just going to be, you know, within the, the mindset of Westbrook and, and knowing Russell, um, I think one of the kind of the misconceptions about him is that uh, he is selfish. I think people believe that he is. And I don't, I don't believe that at all. I've never believed that Russell Westbrook is selfish. I think that there's a fine line and sometimes he blurs it between um, what we perceive to be selfishness and what really is, is just supreme confidence. And he believes in himself to the most incredible degree. And sometimes that, that leads to tunnel vision and that leads to uh, trying to do too much. He, he is basically the walking embodiment, David, of if, if you want something done right, then you got to do it yourself. And that's how Westbrook so often is, is that, uh, you know, and, and I think some people would, would look at that and say, well, he just doesn't trust his teammates. And I think that that's fair because he trusts himself more. And that's a battle that, that Westbrook has often fought. So again, back to Houston, like it's built in. One of the things that uh, Westbrook has shown time and time again, he may not trust some of those kind of, you know, secondary teammates he definitely trust teammates that he considers to be on the same level as him. He did it with Paul George. He did it with Kevin Durant and he will do it with Harden. And again, it's Harden's team and Westbrook is no dummy. He is one of the most intelligent players in the NBA. He's going to understand that. And he's going to make the necessary adjustments. He is Royce Young of ESPN. Final thought, just big picture as we wrap this up on just kind of where you see the Western conference. What's your, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, there's, I was talking the other day that, uh, the first two weeks of the season, I've got about six teams. I want to watch every single second of what they do. Yeah. I mean, like Houston, there's no chance I'm missing, right? If we're play, if the jazz right. are playing, I'm just going to download their game and watch it some other time. Cause you can't miss Houston. I feel the same way about the Lakers. Uh, I kind of feel the same way about the Pelicans. I kind of feel the same way about the Mavericks. Actually. Um, I think both those teams could be much better than we realize. Uh, what's, mm-hmm. what's your thought on the Western conference? Just big picture as we wrap this up. 
And, you know, just another bloodbath. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. And, and you basically got, I think, 12, maybe 13 capable playoff-level teams. And, and it's going to be one of those things by Christmas. I think we're going to have a little bit of an idea about who's who and, and, and who's going to be um, kind of sitting atop. But, like, look, I think, I think most people believe the Clippers are the best team in the West. I actually think the Jazz have every – uh, right to be in that same conversation of being the best preseason team in the West. We'll have to see how the games play out. We'll have to see how players play. I've got Donovan Mitchell as a potential dark horse MVP candidate. I just, you just see the guy, you know, a lot of times year one to year two is difficult for players as they kind of make adjustments. Everybody kind of categorized Donovan Mitchell having this down year last year, David. And as you know, he had a great year. It just didn't live up the expectations that he set for himself with an amazing playoff run. And so I think he's going to be back to the drawing board playing alongside Mike Conley's going to help a lot to kind of uh, strengthen some of the facets of his game and just the additions that the Jazz made to make them a deeper, more well-rounded team. I, you know, I, it would not shock me if the Jazz had the best record in the Western Conference. Are, are they the favorite to win the West in, the, in a postseason run? I don't know about that. But, you know, I can see the Jazz being a, a 59-60 win team and sitting atop the Western Conference. And so from that, from that point on, I mean – you know, the Clippers are good. The Lakers are, I mean, you, like you said, it's just, there's so many fascinating teams that, you know, be ready to stay up late if you're on the East coast, cause you're going to be watching some West coast games. I agree with your assessment there. I, if the jazz can still be good defensively, uh, which they've shown with Rudy in the middle, even if they're small, they have been able to in the past, if they're able to do that again, I agree with you. And then whether they can get through the stars in the playoffs, I think is a big question mark. I, I, there's a few mm. interesting questions. I mean, if you're bad defensively, people don't talk about this enough, but if you're really bad defensively, so you know bottom six in the league defensively, it's very, very hard to win 50 games. I'm not sure that the Lakers or Rockets both might not end up down there. That's my only worry on the Rockets. I figure the Rockets yeah. will figure out defensively, but the Lakers could very easily end up being a terrible defensive team. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's like, uh, you know, you look at some of the, the depth issues that the Lakers have, David, you know, a lot of people, I think, view that in the offensive prism, that it's like, okay, so who's LeBron passing to it? Who's, who's handling the ball as a secondary option? And what do they do with, you know, DeMarcus Cousins being out? And how do they handle some of the limitations they have inside? Well, we're all offensive focused, and it's, it's natural. We all, our eyes follow the basketball, and we kind of tend to look at who has it in their hands. But like you said, so much of depth is on the defensive end. And the Lakers were not a good defensive team last year, and – LeBron James is not as invested defensively as we all well know as he was in the past. So like unless Anthony Davis is going to play at like a Rudy Gobert type of level where he can kind of almost single-handedly impact the defensive end of the floor, you know, that is at at best a mediocre defensive team. He's Royce Young. Follow him at ESPN. Thanks so much for the time. Great retrospective on Durant and Westbrook and their time in OKC and who they are as people. Super appreciate you taking the time on short notice and look forward to reading the rest of your stuff this year. All right, you bet, David. That is Royce Young. Tomorrow, And Anthony and Adam will have Locked on NBA for you as we bring it to you every day. No offseason for Locked on NBA coming to you five days a week and training camps right around the corner. We're about to make it to the finish line. It is the Locked on Podcast Network.